Only the McDowell's can do the announcements like that. Okay. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. So today's message, I could have given it probably about five or six different titles, but the title I decided to settle on is God Will Take Care of You. And we're going to get to that in just a moment specifically, but before we talk specifically about that, we're going to look at something to preface it with. So, you know, as a pastor, you are, one of your tasks is to observe the flock and to know the, um, the, the condition of your flock. I don't consider myself to be perfect with that, but I do try to observe, to find out, to notice that type of thing. And one of the things that as a pastor that you find out when you're observing the flock and seeing how they're doing is you find out about people's growth and what they're going through, uh, their growth in the Lord and how they're doing, whether they're struggling with it, being very successful with it, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> as Christians, we are continuously, constantly being challenged by the Lord to grow in our Christian walk and to become more Christ-like. A scripture that comes to my mind when I think about this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We can go ahead and put that up. And I'm using um, the Living Bible on this one. While they're bringing it up, I'll go ahead and read it. <clears throat> it says, but we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. I'm going to read it one more time. But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. So when you think about a mirror, a mirror is reflecting what's in front of it. And so this scripture here is talking about reflecting the glory of the Lord. So if we're standing in front of this spiritual mirror, okay, then <clears throat> how much of the glory of the Lord is being reflected back to us? Okay, well, it depends on how we're growing in the Lord, how we're doing, how mature we, we have become in, in Christ, whether it's a little bit of glory or a lot of glory. And so we're, and so the next sentence says, and as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. All right. So <clears throat> we have to be constantly open to what the spirit is doing within us. If we cooperate with him, then the glory is shining more and more. If we're not cooperating with the Spirit of God within us, then that glory is not reflecting very brightly. The Christian journey is all about change, all about change. When we initially give our lives to the Lord, we're changed. We become a new creation in Christ. Then, 
as we go on and walk with the Lord daily, moment by moment, we're changing like this scripture just talked about. We're changing from glory to glory as we cooperate with what the Spirit is doing in our lives. Then when we physically and spiritually go to be with the Lord, okay, guess what? We're changed again. So in this Christian journey, it's all about change. And we as human beings, normally, we don't like to change. We like things how we know it will be and how things have been, okay? And a lot of times we won't get out of the nest until the nest becomes too uncomfortable to stay there because the nest is what we're used to, okay? But sometimes the Lord has to spur us and get us up out of that place to move us on to the next place. And sometimes that's not very comforting for us. But it's all about change. God wants us to be more Christ-like in everything that we say and that we do and that we think. We are his messengers and his ambassadors on this earth, and we are to reflect to the world at all times his presence. That, my friends, requires moving according to the Spirit of God working in us and not according to our own natural human nature, and that's the battle. In becoming more Christ-like, here's a question. Wouldn't it just be nice if the Lord worked this process so that we just pray the prayer, Lord, I want to be Christ-like, and boom, we're Christ-like from now until we go be with him, okay? Wouldn't that be nice? Stephen would be so pleasant to work with if it worked that way. <laughs> See? Okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but guess what? It normally does not work that way. God takes us through situations, circumstances, all kinds of stuff to work his image in us. I've heard, I've never seen it personally, but I've heard that <clears throat> when gold is purified, it's heated up. And the more heat they put to it, the impurities rise to the surface and then they skim that off, and they call that the dross, okay? And then they heat it up some more, and more impurities rise to the surface, and they skim that off. And a lot of times I think that's a picture of what God does with us. He puts us in various situations, and either the fruit of the Spirit comes forth from us, or our human nature and human flesh comes forth. And that human nature and human flesh stuff, that's the impurities, and God shows us that, and it's like, okay, we need to work a little bit harder here. And one of the things that I've learned about my own life and that I've observed from watching others is that when God is working something in us, if we don't pass that test, he will send us right back around again and again and again until we master that, okay? If we don't get it, he continually puts us in circumstances. The circumstances might change, but the lesson that you're supposed to learn from it, okay, the fruit of the spirit that's supposed to be exhibited from it as a result of it, all of that will keep coming back around until we pass that with flying colors, okay? So <clears throat> a few weeks ago, this message is 
to a large extent, Miss B's fault. So you, uh, we're going to blame her for it. Because a few weeks ago, she shared a testimony in front of the church about going through. Y'all remember that, those of you who were here? And when she was talking, what she was saying was that God puts us in situations that we are supposed to go through, not stop in the middle of it, but go, and she said, all the way through and come out on the other side better than we were when we started. Her encouragement reminded me of an old song by Ron Cannoli. Some of you may know the song, some of you may not. But we've got some young children in the room, so I'm not going to say one word in the song, but you all will know what that word is, okay? The name of the song is, If You're Going Through Blank, Don't Stop, okay? So y'all know what that is, right? All right, so here's some of the lyrics to that song. It says, if you catch blank, don't hold it. If you're going through blank, don't stop. Now, this is what you do when you're going through blank. You go ahead, you go ahead. If you catch blank, don't hold it. If you're going through blank, don't stop, okay? So, question to you, what do you do when you're going through blank? You go ahead, right? You go ahead. You keep going. You, just like Ms. B said, you come out on the other side, okay? You don't stop. So <clears throat> what I want us to do, you guys know I like interaction and to make things interactive. So I'm going to ask you to get in groups of two, three, no more than four. And I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you one at a time. So when you're answering the first question, don't jump to the next question that you think is coming. Just stay with the first one. You're only going to have about two minutes, two, three at max, to discuss this. So please, one person, don't dominate the conversation. All right, so go ahead and move and get in groups of three, two, three, four, and then I'll give you the first question. Okay, here is the first question. One of the phrases in the song is, if you catch blank, okay? What might be some examples of catching blank? Discuss those in your group. What might be some examples of catching blank? All right. One of the phrases in the song was, if you catch blank, don't hold it. What are some examples of catching blank? I just repeated it for somebody. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay. All right. Here is the second question. So the first one was, what might be some examples of catching blank? Okay. The second one is, in reference to the line that says, don't hold it, okay, what might be some examples of us holding on to it? What might be some examples of us holding on to it? Okay, all right, let's stop. So I'm not gonna have time to go around to each group and get all of your answers, but I'm just gonna kinda get a sampling here. So going back to the first one, <clears throat> what might be some examples of catching blank? All right, Gary, Ernest, Edna, give us, give us two. Okay. All right, okay, we got that? Uh, can, all right. can you repeat it loudly, please? Okay. That was one. All right, okay, all right. Joy, your group. Yeah, the first one. What are some examples of catching blank? Um, health. health, okay. Okay, all right. Um, Trevor Shonda. Losing a job, difficult co-worker. All right, very good. Uh, right here. Speak loudly, please. Yeah, we, um, for instance, put in, all, put in all efforts that you can to attain a certain desired result and achieving specifically the opposite result. Okay. 
good. That's right. Yeah. Um, and bringing all what you, you think you should bring and doing all humanly possible and all resources are that and continually going in the opposite direction 10 times over. All right. And this group right here. A whole week at work where everything goes wrong. <laughs> One more. Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. So those are some examples of catching blank. All right. So the second one was, what are some examples of us holding onto it? This group right here. Having a pity party. In the pity party. <laughs> Having one and staying there. Okay. All right. Back there. Being paralyzed with fear. Discouragement. Okay. Um, Joe and Ryan's group. Holding on to anger, holding on to negativity uh, levels. Stress, stress, bitterness, health problems, unforgiveness. All right, so those are some examples of us holding on to it, okay? Some that I listed for the first one, uh, catching blank, I put being taken advantage of, being blamed for something you didn't do, being discriminated against, being given unfair expectations, lots and lots of things going wrong, unfair treatment, being misunderstood, an avalanche of pressure on you from various sources, people, and sometimes even yourself. Uh, mine that I listed for the second one, um, holding on to things, anger that is not properly dealt with. Now, one of the things, you know, Scripture doesn't say that anger itself is a sin. It says, be angry and sin not. It's what do we do with that anger? So when we're angry, what do, what do we do with it? Do we take it to the Lord and allow him to work it in us, okay, so that it's not being detrimental to us? Because here's the deal. When we get angry, if we don't allow it to be dealt with in us, Anger turns to rage. Rage turns to bitterness, unforgiveness, and all of that stuff. That stuff, when it stays in us and it's not dealt with, it begins to affect us mentally, and it will affect our physical bodies. It causes us to get sick and all kinds of things. Okay, So we really need to make sure that we handle our anger in a productive way. Um, <clears throat> Another one that I listed was refusing to change when necessary because change is a part of life. We have to keep being willing to change. Harboring unforgiveness. Um, on that note, um, here's a story. I, I'm willing to share the story, but I don't have never shared the story publicly. I've shared it with people individually. But um, one of the most 
serious wounds I ever experienced came from a pastor, okay? Uh, this was years ago. Cynthia and I were in a different church. I was in my 20s, and we were a young couple with two young children, and um, we were serving the Lord diligently as best as we could, giving our full effort. Well, without going into all of the details, because that wouldn't be good anyway, and I don't have the time for that, let's just say uh, I served there for eight years faithfully. I was on the leadership team of the church. Um, I was various ministry areas I was in charge of, not just with, but in charge of. I was in charge of the um, worship team. I sang on the choir. I uh, was in charge of, back then, some of you don't even know anything about this, but it was tape ministry. Um, tapes were very important back in those days. Right after the service, people wanted to buy tapes, and they took them home, and they listened to them, okay? Well, I was in charge of the tape ministry. Um, I was in charge of Wednesday night Bible study every Wednesday, okay? Uh, the pastor didn't want to do that because he lived out of town, and he asked me to do it. Uh, it was a 20-minute drive from where I lived to the church, which wasn't that long, especially considering where I live now, but it was on the other side of town. But he lived out of town and didn't want to come and asked me to take it, and so I did. Uh, and in addition to that, I was a part of the uh, intercessory prayer ministry, which met every Tuesday night. So I was there Sundays all day, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and sometimes other nights as well. Um, and one day he called, this was out of the blue, totally out of the blue for me. He called me into his office on a Saturday afternoon and he told me that um, I was trying to take over the church and that I had the spirit of Sandballot and some other things. And I was like floored. I mean, I felt like someone had taken a sword, stuck it in my side and turned it. And um, it took me years to get over that as far as the healing process goes. Um, <clears throat> but after it happened, um, I was home crying, and um, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to forgive him. <laughs> I'm like, what? It's like, crazy. It's like, what? And it's like, I want you to forgive him. And I knew it was the Lord speaking to me. And... <clears throat> Down the road, and not at that time, but down the road, I came to realize that the reason why God wanted me to forgive him was because God wanted me to be released. Because if I didn't forgive him, I was going to stay attached just like a chain to his control over me. Okay, And I needed to break that connection between me and him. And the only way for me to do that was to forgive him. Now, to this day, there has never been an apology offered, okay? Um, but I have, through the course of time, uh, gotten over that I've seen this person from time to time and been able to know that I've gotten the victory, 
Okay. But that was a very um, difficult time for me. It shook me spiritually and emotionally to my core. But forgiveness is very, very important. Please don't harbor it. Okay. So moving on, <clears throat> having looked at and talked about what we have so far, what I really want to leave you with today is the message that God will take care of you. Remember, that's what I titled this message. When you're going through, situations don't look their best. You don't always see a way out of the bleak situation that you're in. But I want to encourage you today and leave you with some scriptural examples of God taking care of his people in the midst of difficult and trying times. I'm sure most of you have heard the phrase, but God, okay? Well, I looked up some scriptures where there was a but God moment. I'm going to need you all to help me with this. So when I point to you all like that, I need all of you to say together, but God. Ready? Do it again. All right. So here we go. The first one is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 28. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians at Philippi. And so he says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. Ready? Had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So, let's talk about this for just a moment. So here was Paul, okay? He was in a distressed situation. And the church at Philippi sent to him a dear brother in their church, Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus comes to Paul in his point of need, all right? And Epaphroditus is taking care of Paul, ministering to him, helping him, doing whatever is needed, okay? And Epaphroditus gets sick, and Paul says Epaphroditus almost dies, okay? All right, ready? But God intervened, okay, and took care, raised Epaphroditus back up, had mercy on Paul, okay? Have you ever borrowed something from somebody that was valuable and you were worried to death to get it back to them without something happening? Any of you ever been there? I have. Years ago, my daughter, when she was in high school, she was, you know, voted to the homecoming court. So the parade that went through town that week, homecoming parade, you know, you're supposed, if you can, you're supposed to get a car that's a convertible to, you know, let the young lady, you know, ride on the convertible as you go through the parade. Well, I didn't, I only knew one person who had a convertible. And that person lived in Asheboro, and the car that he had was a 1967 GTO. 
And my brother, when my oldest brother, when he got out of Vietnam, he bought a brand new 68 GTO. So I was familiar with that car because my brother had one. That car is loaded. It has all kinds of energy in it. And all you have to do is touch the accelerator and whoo, it's going. I mean, you don't have to press it down. You just touch it and it's gone. So um, I asked this guy if I could, you know, take my daughter through the parade and use his car. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh. I'm like glad. And at the same time, I'm like, oh. So I drive to Asheboro, get the car. Well, he has washed it, cleaned it, fixed it up, everything for it. I was going to do that, but he did it for me. I didn't even have to. So it's clean, it's shiny, it's, <laughs> it's everything. So I'm, I'm driving the car back to Robbins, which is a 30-minute drive, and I'm like, Lord, please don't let me get in any act. Keep all cars away from me. <laughs> we go through the parade, and uh, so my daughter's looking good on this nice GTO, and we get out of the parade. I said, Kelly, I said, Go to the go get the car, the other car, and I said, I'm taking this car back to Asheboro. <laughs> I just wanted to get it back before something happened. I was so glad when I dropped that car back off at my friend's house because I just didn't want something that, oh, that was a, that's one of those, you know, expensive cars, value, very old too. So, anyway, uh, it just reminded me of, of this Epaphroditus coming to be with Paul there and almost dying, and so. Anyway, the next one is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Do it again. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. All right. So not many of us were wise, famous, of noble birth. There, it's, it says not many of us. So maybe some were, but not many of us, okay? But God intervened, right? And he chose us, okay? He chose us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. This is from the HCSB version. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Ready? who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. Say it again. But God. God. Ready? All right. Acts 7, 1 through 5. This is the next one. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? 
To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. Ready? Promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. So let's kind of make this personal in today. So starting at verse 3, God told Abraham, leave your country and your people. So God tells you, leave the United States, leave your relatives, leave your friends, leave your church family. Ready? (laughs) Leave and go wherever it is that he's telling you to go. You get there, and guess what? He doesn't even give you a place for you to settle, okay? But he gives you a promise that it's going to come through your descendants, okay? Guess what? You don't have any children. Ready? But God, okay? All right, 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7. For when we were in Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. Ready? But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you have given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So, again, here is Paul, okay? It says, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside. So there was trouble. There was bad situations. All the things going through blank, right? Okay? Okay? They had fears. You know, we think of Paul. We think of the apostles. You know, we think super spiritual. But here Paul is letting us know they had the fears, The fears were on the inside, okay, just like we have our fears, okay? They had those fears. They had trouble on the outside. They had fears on the inside. They were downcast. Sometimes you're downcast, right? Sometimes you don't see a way. Ready? But God. All right. We're bringing it in. Okay. This scripture right here is about Jacob. Now, if you know anything about Jacob, Jacob was a deceiver, okay? But in this situation, Jacob was treated unfairly by his father-in-law. This is from Genesis 31, 38 through 42. It says, I have been, this is Jacob talking to his father-in-law. He says, I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss of the flocks. Wait a minute. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen day or night. This was my situation. 
The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. Ready? But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Okay? God intervened. He was treated unfairly. That's the reality of it. Okay? He was treated unfairly, but he did what he was supposed to do here in this situation. Okay? God intervened in the end. Next one. This is uh, a scripture. It doesn't use the phrase, but God. It uses the phrase, yet God, but it works the same. This is from Luke 12, 24. Um, it says, um, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Ready? Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? So when your provision is lacking, okay, when there's not enough, guess what? God considers you more valuable than birds and animals. He will intervene. All right? Here's the last one. This scripture is about three men who would not bow to serve and worship any God other than the true and living God. There are no but gods in, this, in these verses, but there are several but God moments. And we will call them out as we read through this. So this is from Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 30. All right. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all the kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whosoever does not bow down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, heart, pipe, and all the kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Do it again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If, you are, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. 
he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Louder, please. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So as I wrap this up, I want you to be encouraged that God will take care of you no matter your situation. When you're going through blank, go through. Go all the way through and come out on the other side without the smell of smoke, fire, or of the situation that you are going through. Amen.